Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
Let's play nice. Let's play nice this evening. I know this is a very difficult time for some of you out there listening. And don't worry. I care about all of you out there, each and every single one of you out there. I want to actually thank all of you right now for listening to this. And thanks for always being there and listening to this very, very special program. I am oftentimes moved by some of your emails. I know. I know you care. Be still my heart, I must say. You'll always have me there with you, boys and girls. Don't worry. I hope this message will find you beyond land and sea. It's true. Now, don't be shy, ladies and gentlemen. You can call in. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time. 760-332-8724. And now let's get down to brass tacks. And I can't believe I remembered all those lines. My God. And I'm not even sober tonight. Good Lord. No. And Michael Horn, are you alive out there? Uh, more or less. I think I am breathing and smiling and anticipating a delightful conservation with you tonight, Michael. Fantastic. Okay. And I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. I know you've done the show with me I, I, just countless times, Michael. Yes, over the years. It's true. You know, I haven't even had a look at notes or anything. I just went off and babbled away. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to hear what you said, but I'm going to trust that it was more than appropriate. I just rambled. Oh, okay. I was rambling the whole time here, but it worked. <laughs> we're here. Yeah, we're here and we're live. And my God, Merry Christmas to you, Michael. Thank you very much. The same to you and yours. And how's everything going for you, I must ask? Well, it's it's super, super, super busy for a number of reasons. And I like it that way. I have to say that I... I think things are generally good. You know, there's always a bump in the road. We are human beings experiencing all of that. But um, I'm kind of excited about entering the new year, uh, being the ground running and all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, trying to bring a bit more awareness to the work that I do with the Billy Meyer contacts to people and, you know, hopefully let them know and let encourage them to dig in and see what they come up with for themselves. Very awesome. Now, Michael, we are going to be joined by a very, very different audience here tonight. Some folks out there who have never heard of you or the Billy Meyer case, I thought we could sort of start off very slowly here. And Michael, tell us how you stumbled upon this subject and why you are the media representative. Sure. But, uh, you know, since you have a entirely different audience. I will say you know, for it. many for people it. Yeah. don't know about the case. I accept that and don't know about me. And of course, the same is true for my family, not knowing about the case or me. But however, I will go into this in a bit of detail and explain that Billy Meyer is a now 82-year-old Swiss man. He has one arm because he lost his arm in a bus accident back in about 1964 or 5 in Turkey. And he's claimed that since he was a five-year-old boy, long time ago, that he has been having voluntary, wide-awake, face-to-face meetings with human beings who come from another star system. He actually published his first evidence on this. Most people even who know the case don't know this. But he published his first evidence in 1964 when he was interviewed in a newspaper, the Delhi Statesman in India. And uh, that became quite a seminal piece of evidence because also of the photographs of UFOs that Meyer had it. He'd taken at that time about 80 of them. And pardon me, the reporter who interviewed him and wrote the article described a number of them. And we still have a dozen of those photos. So there's a kind of chain of command of that, you know, original evidence. And that evidence alone, and you know, I don't want to get too 
far ahead of myself. But that evidence alone actually establishes the authenticity of his contacts. And we can always talk about it, but I'll move on to say that uh, Meyer, in the, let's say, late 1950s, after already a very interesting childhood, to put it mildly, uh, where he's meeting with extraterrestrials, again, we'll just say for now, according to the information in the case, and uh, he has traveled already extensively with them many places on our world and off of it. He has, at the t- by the age of 16, joined the French Foreign Legion for a short period of time. He leaves that within about a year or so because he realized he did not want to pursue the kind of, let's say, goals that many of the people were being trained for in the French Foreign Legion. He didn't want to become a killer. It's very simple. He became known as the Phantom in the Middle East. He was hired by police departments in Pakistan, East uh, East Pakistan, India, Turkey, and perhaps somewhere else to bring in serial killers and mass murderers who had been identified by the authorities in these countries. And Meyer is someone who, from a very early age and to this day, you could use the term, he has nerves of steel. And for a man who has dodged literally 23 documented assassination attempts, you got to have some kind of nerves of steel because the first time a bullet whizzes by your head and misses, there's a kind of invisible little banner trailing behind it that says, uh, we suggest a career change. So Meyer never did change the career path. And I would put that in quotes because this isn't hasn't been a career for him. He traveled extensively hitchhiking around uh, the Middle East, Asia, parts of Africa, India, and all of that. Uh, and that's, of course, in 1964, at the age of 27, is how he was interviewed by this man for the Valley Statesman newspaper. And he, at the time, was also studying Buddhism at the Ashoka Ashram in Morali, India. As I say, he was known for a time as the Phantom. And then uh, when he started to move closer to what we would call the time of the official contacts, he had uh, pursued the study of different religions traveling around to understand different cultures, religious beliefs, etc. In 1964 in Pakistan, uh, there was an American woman who thought that he reminded her of Billy the Kid because he dressed with a, a black cowboy hat and black pants chaps and he he very often did pack a sidearm. It was a dangerous life that he had. And so she called him Billy. His real name is Edward Albert Meyer. But he became known as Billy around the world, and that name stuck. And in 1975, he began what are called the official contacts with his third extraterrestrial human contact person, the second woman that he would be working with. So for the chronology, the man that first uh, began to tutor him when he was five was called Spot. The woman who took over that job 11 years later was named Asket. And then 11 years after that, a woman named Semyaze, who became the third official contact person for certain purposes. And he, Billy, would then, through her, meet a number of other people, including her father and other uh, members, if you will, of the uh, so-called and race, formerly called Pleiadians for a reason, but that's not the real name. And in 1975, he had the first official contact with this woman, Semyaze, in uh, January 28th, I think it was, 75. And he had his photo opportunities began at that time. And uh, he had taken, by the time 1981 rolled around, he'd taken over 1,200, primarily daytime, but not exclusively, clear and still irreproducible 
UFO photos, films, video, and also acquired other UFO evidence, meaning metal samples that were said to uh, represent the different stages of the metallurgy involved in creating these craft, and also sound recordings that he made on four separate occasions in the presence of up to as many as 17 people, including an undercover policeman, in a large, basically open field. All of this evidence has been independently examined and authenticated. And the analysis, especially of the photos and films, have spanned 40 years. And, uh, of course, while there's been a lot of controversy about that, uh, I think, you know, if we want, we can look at that, but we, we can put it to bed pretty well because also we can, uh, you know, point people to where they can go and not only look at all of these analyses, but they can actually analyze one of the photographs themselves. That's a whole other thing, but I'm just throwing it all into the right. ring. So Billy Meyer, you know, known for all the fantastic UFO evidence, but that's the uh, least important <laughs> evidence in the case. The next level, which I'll just touch on, is what I refer to as the prophetically accurate scientific, environmental, geopolitical, and economic uh, information, the world world events, and, and all of that. We have, to date, over 250 specific examples of such prophetically accurate information, primarily scientific, by the way, that Meyer verifiably also published long before official discovery, and that's established by the information being in books and documents, about 85% of which we can verify with copyrights, and which you know is ironclad in terms of establishing dates of publication. Beyond that, it turns out that the information was impeccably accurate once our own sciences and scientists were making so-called new discoveries. So that's a little peek there. Yes. Now, Michael, why were you the chosen one? <laughs> well, because I chose. <laughs> let, me, let me explain. I first found the first photo book on the Meyer you know, evidence in 1979 in a little bookstore in L.A. It was called The Bodhi Tree. Seven years or so later, 1986, I would meet a guy in a cafe in Sedona, Arizona, who, upon our entering into a conversation about all things phenomenalistic and UFO-related, began to speak about Billy Meyer with me and then told me that he had 1,800 pages of the conversation, the transcripts of conversations, which he would give me when we returned to L.A. I did, he did, and that began a rather intensive study of those first 1,800 pages. It's far more now. And uh, that was 1986. In 88, I opened a newspaper to find a so-called new discovery by Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories, which described the damage to the ozone layer as it was connected to A-bomb explosions, along with specific percentages of damage that Livermore Labs had been able to determine. The problem was, and it wasn't really a problem, it was a little bit of, a, of an incident, was for me that I knew that information as I was reading it. I'd already read it before. So I reached under my bed, pulled out the first hundred pages of the transcripts, and in those conversations with the alleged extraterrestrial woman, Semyaze, Meyer is being told about the ozone damage, the percentages, the fact that he should contact uh, Daniel, I don't know if it was McCulloch or something, at Harvard, and that this scientist was involved in environmental issues and all of that. And later in this material, in, in these contexts, which I had been reading for you know a couple of years, uh, they also had explained to him the damage to the ozone was going to lead to increased, uh, what was it, genetic manip uh, 
manifestations like the the damage to our genetics, the damage to the food chain, and why and how the rending of holes into the ozone was allowing through too much UV and the connection to uh, things that would be proliferating for centuries on our planet as was really initially attributable to the damage from A-bombs and radiation of other forms, which includes leaks from hospitals and, uh, you know, all sorts of contributory factor, factors uh, pertaining to radiation. And, and I'm, you know, I read this stuff in the Meyer material and I go back to the article from Lawrence Livermore and I'm going, well, wait a minute. This is, this whole thing with this Billy Meyer guy, this is about something a bit more than UFOs is as amazing as that is. So within a couple of years, 1990 and, and proceeding forward, I kept on finding more and more so-called new discoveries that I'd already read, you know, years ago. And it continues to happen. That's why I'm saying we have over 250 specific examples. So to further address your question, in the year 2000, I had joined a study group in L.A. where we discussed, you know, the Billy Meyer information and all. And somebody said, well, why don't you just go to Switzerland this year and meet Meyer? And I said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So in 2000, I went to Switzerland for the first time. I met Meyer and a bunch of people there. We worked together and it was kind of neat. It was a very beautiful place and people from around the world. And I, I went in 2001 and two and three. And I think it was maybe around 2004 that I said, you know, I'd like to officially represent you. Let me tell you guys, since 1987, I've been involved in making films and lecturing about this material, you know, unofficially on my own. I'd, you know, just gone out and done it. And I'd like to do it with, you know, with an agreement with you. And the agreement would be that you authorize me to do this. You don't pay me. I don't pay you. I'm free to say whatever I want, meaning I'm, I'm not going to sabotage you. I'm going to say I want to represent your information as you want it put forward. But I reserve the right to say, well, I could disagree with this part or I don't know about that. But according to the information in the case, this is what is said. And I've had the opportunity to do that, you know, for the last <clears throat> 15 years. Um where I did have the opportunity many times to say, I don't know about this or I might disagree, uh, most all of that has you know, gone by the boards because in those ensuing years, I had those questions answered for myself to my satisfaction, especially when new scientific discoveries are supposedly being made. And I already have, a, have them in my hands. Uh, and it's led to some interesting things, including just a few months ago, and, uh, going up to a, visit a scientist at the um, USGS who's working on the Mars mission and showing him information on Mars that he didn't know about, had Billy Meyer published decades ago. Right. But to get back to it, at that time, you know, I asked them if I can do this. They said, yes, you can do that. And so we created a seven-year basic, very clean and clear agreements. The only thing that changed with the last agreement was, and I think it was 2018 or something, was that I'm authorized as well for North America and South America and, you know, other English-speaking countries. Officially, I had lived in Brazil for a little more than five months some years ago, and I did my work from there, mainly doing interviews and a couple presentations and stuff until I had, you know, come back to the States to live here. Understood. But that's, yes. Yeah, that's just how it happened, really. It was like I asked, you know. So asked. you were basically intrigued. Oh, my. Yeah. Very, very intrigued, very motivated, very driven to go out there and discover this for yourself, correct? Absolutely. Because when I did come upon it and I saw that first photo book, I, I had that, you know, that quote unquote gut feeling. This is real. Mm. Wow. What is this about? And here's this gray bearded guy sitting here and he's talking, you know, and I'm going, well, I never heard of this before, but this is real. Well, 
I mean, I know now, not just based on gut feeling. I mean, I've done, I've gone to Switzerland 20 times, met with Meyer every time. I've made five films about it. I've tried to trick him on four occasions about one, with one question, you know, one, the first time. stuff when you tell the truth you don't have to remember anything it's just what it is right and i just i'm just always tickled to hang out with a guy because he's so normal it's so i don't know it's it's almost something i cannot explain that even the first time that he and i were speaking face to face he'd ask me a question about if i knew somebody in america and i'm answering him and at the same time i'm going gosh this is so unusual this this man isn't trying to impress me. He's not defending anything. And I feel like he's known me forever. I don't get it. You know, it was really kind of mystifying. Just very simple. No guru smiles. No, nothing. To, you know, people have, these people that have called my, it's a cult, you know, it's a, I'm going, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? When was the last time anybody from the so-called Meyer cult knocked on your door and wanted you to join anything or pay them? I mean, the 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 rumors and the, frankly the lies that have been told about this this man and his work uh it's astounding it's just like truly astounding why people would be so nasty and mean spirited to somebody who's simply come forward he tells his information he publishes the conversations with the play and people publishes his books on what's called the spiritual teaching he doesn't make presentations he doesn't go around and make give lectures and interviews and that's it. And he doesn't care. You know, if people, even if, if people are attacking it or they don't believe it, it's not his business. It's, there's like a, a book title. Was it Richard Feynman or something? He wrote a book. Um, what you think of me is none of my business. It was a book title from years ago. And that's kind of how Billy is. It's kind of like there's a certain equanimity. He doesn't have anything against anybody that I can tell. Yet he'll, he can be very demonstrative and speak about the things that, you know, concern him about the world and that they are trying to bring to the world for people to look at. But it's a very unusual experience. It's just like normal is is the strangest word because nothing's normal these days. It's kind of like how it should be if you talk to somebody like a professor who's not trying to impress you with being a professor and you ask him something and he answers or he says, oh, I don't know, or I can't tell you that at this time. You know, I, I look forward to that, you know, getting to go over and the people that come from different countries and stuff. And I make a presentation in German that I have to practice for a long time every year just to kind of let people know what I've done because the whole meeting is uh, done in German. And, you know, it's a bit of a snore for me, but uh, <laughs> I, I try to do my best to improve my pronunciation each year. I don't speak fluent German. And, you know, so I don't know where how that went off on that whole tangent thing. But don't worry, Michael, I, I speak uh, I speak maybe four languages and I don't speak any of them very good. Yeah, I can get by in three or four, maybe, you know, like sometimes I can get by in Spanish, Italian, French, German, but sometimes I'm mixing the languages together because I only know a certain word in the other language. But these days I don't have that much opportunity to have to bumble through and, you know, drag anybody through my bad uh, linguistic skills here. Don't worry. We're, no one's perfect. It's okay. Oh, I think everybody will. I think everybody will forgive you. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, I am. I'm speaking English now. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> we're good. We're good. Yes, sir. I, I got to tell you one thing. Okay, so after we had been to our last trip, you know, my girlfriend and I are saying we've got a. We don't speak German clearly. You know, we, we can. So this is what I want to do. I want to talk to people like this. I'm very pleased to be in your country very much. Okay. Uh -huh. I. 
I don't speak German, but we are Americans, and we very much appreciate all that you've done. You know, speak English with at least with a, a pseudo-German accent, even if we can't speak the German. Wouldn't that be a creative way to go? Indeed. Now, <laughs> Michael, tell the listeners out there about Billy Meyer's missing arm and how that happened. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I, I talked to him once about it uh, because he was told about 10 years before that would happen that they said to him, uh, we want to tell you that in about 10 years time, you're going to lose your left arm. It's part of your own destiny. There's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, I mean, imagine somebody tells it, you know, you start needing pampers or something. Well, Billy said what he had to do was push that into the back of his mind. And it was only about a year before he lost the arm. He, he said, I was in a beach in India and I saw a man with his family and the man only had one arm. And it suddenly brought into my awareness that I was only in a certain point, I was going to lose my arm. Mm -hmm. And the, the way in which he did it, I don't know if he ever knew how it would happen to him. Um, he was in Turkey. It was a hot day. He got on a bus. He sat next to the window, which was open. And you know how you put your arm you know, up and partially out of the window. Yes. And apparently uh, there was suddenly a truck being driven by a man who was drunk, and he came careening right into the bus where Billy was, uh, almost pulled the arm completely, you know, off at the elbow. Uh, Meyer was thrown out of the bus, landed on the ground. People thought he was dead. He ended up lying in a ditch for a while till someone heard him moaning. They took him at that point to uh, a not terribly sophisticated medical facility. They cut off uh, his arm below the elbow. And he's, you know, he's one of the people who, like many people, still have the phantom limb pain and all of that stuff. Uh, and he was asked by um, several people, including, I think, my friend, director of one of the films we made about his arm. And Billy, you know, wouldn't, don't you wish that never happened? And he gave this interesting answer of, no, I've learned a lot from the experience. I wouldn't change anything. I got to stop you right there and quickly say, that's kind of like, the drummer from Def Leppard, Rick Allen, when he lost his arm. Really? Amazing. I, I didn't know. But, you know, Meyer, he was, I think it's in our film, The Silent Revolution of Truth. Uh, I think it's there. And it was just like the way he said it. It was like it was very, very real. So maybe the same thing with the man that you referred to. It was just like, no, I need, I learned from this. I learned what had happened was after he, I guess, was let out of the hospital, he was like delirious. For about a month, he said he was. He ended up, I think, in Syria, and he uh, he, he had his he had a large handgun, and he would shoot it off places. And he said it was only because he knew a chief of police there that they didn't shoot him on the spot walking around, you know. So he he was uh, kind of out of his mind for quite some time. Right. And uh, it was the interesting thing here is that it's only uh, let's say ten years after Meyer loses his left arm, and that's about a, eleven years after. He has these photographs, uh, you know, that are seen in India and we still have them, that he starts taking the photos for the so-called official contacts, 1975, and takes hundreds, including, you know, movie films, video, all this stuff. And the quality of those films, even though this is not digital, this is all still you know, regular old film cameras, is infinitely better. And then the quality, of course, of the 64 photos, which were taken with a 1940s Kodak Bellows type camera, very primitive. But... um People don't quite, you know, I mean, people attribute to Meyer the most amazing Superman capabilities. He, you know, he would have to be not only a master photographer uh, and master of special effects. Uh, uh, oh, my gosh. Model making. He's uh, our one arm bandit of the UFO community. Oh, my gosh. Of, of almost, you know, <laughs> he, 
it would be metallurgy, electronics, mind control, uh, physics, astrophysics. I, I once sat down and listed about 30 things that people are effectively crediting him with yes. rather than going, OK, the guy's photos are real. Now, what does it mean? You know, so instead you get people to just have to attack and the people who attack are always the ones who they simply don't know anything about it's I mean, interesting you say that because yeah. someone else who was attacking billy meyer extensively was his own wife or ex-wife yes now. well yes she did that after they were divorced she didn't do it when she took the lie detector test along with 16 other people all of whom passed 100 percent about meyer's you know sightings and meetings and all they also oh yeah it's all true and a good number of people including her of course, saw the craft. And in her case, she also saw one of the play iron in her living room. So it was and her uh, the, their children saw the craft. And one of the sons is hostile to Billy. But even to this day, he says, oh, well, I don't like my old man. But, oh, yeah, of course, the contacts are real. I saw the ships. So all the skeptics that wanted to make hay out of a father son uh, animosity couldn't get too far because the kids said, well, you know, I don't like my dad. But, well, telling the truth, you know, I saw the ships. And my brother saw the ships and my mother saw the ships. I wasn't so, actually uh, aware of his. His son's comments, by the way, I this is the first time yep. I'm hearing about this. I wasn't yep. sure he had heat with his old man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, human beings and families and and real life is a very funny thing. I know. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> need I see more. My Wherever goodness. human beings are, things can and will get screwed up. If you're a human being, sooner or later. You know, the rotating blades and uh, Billy said, you know, he's he had trouble. Well, his wife, he also understood that part of what happened, not all of it, but part of it was that he once he came public, started to go public with the contacts, with the photos, with the transcripts. And this is all happening in Europe before we ever hear about it for several years. Well, then people are literally, you know, throughout Europe and, you know, parts of Europe and all this stuff. They're traipsing through his home. They're just coming in and they're demanding he sits down and shows them photos. And Meyer, this is his life's mission. He would show photos. People stole photos from him and, you know, other evidence. And it was just uh, this is not somebody who has a career speaking about UFOs. This isn't uh, David Icke or somebody like that. You know, this is a man who's had experiences that he stands behind. And here's the most remarkable thing, because none of the skeptics ever take this into consideration. And this was told to me by a, a military investigator who came forward three years ago, accusing me of representing a hoax. And this man has subsequently authenticated the case. He's no longer a skeptic. I'll, we can always go into that more later. But he said to me, you know, if only people understood that Billy Meyer voluntarily turned over every piece of evidence, photos, films, video, metal samples, for analysis, he says, look, as an investigator, he says, I used to be a police investigator. I'm a military investigator. Nobody comes forward and invites investigators to come if you're accused of something and say, here, let me give you the evidence. You know, here's my gun. So we project onto people the worst of our own natures. We call people liars and hoaxers and things. And it's so strange because in this field of ufology, which I don't have much respect for, but you would think that everybody who claims to want to find the truth, to want to know the truth about UFOs, would want to at least give a fair shake to the best evidence the world has ever seen. Go figure. I agree. And Michael, what do you say about those who bring up those photographs of the dinosaur? 
from well, uh, that you know, book. The easiest thing I've said to people is this is not the Billy Meyer dinosaur case. This is the Billy Meyer UFO case. And I try to explain to people, mainly people who have very little real life experience and especially experience in dealing with hostility. When Meyer was not quite killable, quite literally, the parties who have it in for him, some of them, figured that if we can't kill the man, we'll assassinate his character. So here's what happens with photographs. Meyer always bought film from one camera store in the overall region where he lived. It's rural. There's not. This isn't the metropolis. And we're going back now to the 70s. He would take the photos. He brought them in. They sent them out. They got him back. They gave him to him. He would shuffle through them and throw them into shoeboxes because he knew that was evidence that he had to publish it, but he didn't care particularly about the UFO part of it. He'd been on those things since he was a child and continued to be. For him, it, it was a bit of trouble because he also had to go at all hours of day and night. And this was witnessed by investigators. Snow, rain, didn't matter. He'd have to traipse off. He'd come back and he'd have a camera full of photographs. And they would develop them, you know, or have them develop when the investigations are going on. And there they are. So it's for people who understand that what this case, if you, we could, you know, for contacts or contact, what this means to science and humankind, if this is true, do we not understand that there are powerful entities in our world, military, governmental, religious, media, corporate, you name it, that don't want there to be known that there are non-aggressive beings from a whole other world who can operate without any constraint as they please, if they want to, in or around our world. That's a very destabilizing concept. And I can understand that. I can understand that intelligence agencies and governments and all these, well, they, they would be troubled that, that the populace would go, wait a minute, you mean there's beings flying around and you guys couldn't do a darn thing against it if they wanted to take, you know, that's By the way, way let me think. let me stop you there really quickly sure, right sure. now and just update you that in the chat room right now, I do have the photograph of the dinosaur and yeah. the cover of the book is called Life Before Man or the title of the, the book where you can find that photograph. And do you recall who started this, by the way? Who brought this to uh, your attention Actually, first? Actually, this is what isn't known by the skeptics. Actually, in about 19, it was either 75 or 78, and this is all written down, it's documented. Meyer had a conversation with the people that he flies around with, and it was something about, we you know, regret to tell you that you have to not endorse those space photos, and, and because he had apparently taken hundreds of photos. And he said, well, why? And they said, these, many of these photos, many of them have been falsified, manipulated, and we really have to disown them. They're interesting, but, uh, you know, and some of the things would represent what you did photograph, but they're not your photos. And he was a bit distressed about it. And this also goes to the Ascot Nera uh, claims of hoax. We can go there. It's, pre it's pretty simple stuff. But what I want to tell people, and this is this is not a dodge. You can you can figure this out for yourselves. And here's how you do it. The military guy said an interesting thing when he, you know, was talking about why the case is authentic. He says, you know, right. if you investigate a crime and he said, uh, here's an example. He says, there's a murder. There's a body. Next to the body, there's a gun. Somebody finds a wallet inside the guy's ID. Somebody else steps forward and says, oh, I saw that guy. He's the one that killed him. Seems like a slam dunk. He says, except that the guy whose wallet was found and who was identified by an eyewitness and whose gun that was apparently, he was verifiably a thousand miles away at a wedding. There's films of him dancing with people, time date stamp. And so we have one piece of evidence 
that demolishes any and all of the opposing evidence. One piece of evidence that's verifiable and ironclad. He said, in the Meyer case, you have so many photographs, so many that are authentic, that all of the stuff that's thrown up around it is smokescreen. It's unfortunate that Billy Meyer wasn't the kind of guy who's going to go, I'm going to examine every photograph that comes back and all that stuff. But this is a man with one arm living a life that none of us could handle. We couldn't have handled any of the aspects of his life, which included working as a night watchman and then by day raising his family while he's going on contacts and coming home and transcribing them and dudging people that are trying to kill him. And by the way, Michael, how many in totality? 23 attempts on his life. Oh, my. Today, I've seen bullet hole for one. I've talked to eyewitnesses to 14. Uh, the late Wendell Stevens was uh, sitting with Meyer when one of the earlier, it wasn't the first, but one of the early attempts was made in his life right where they were sitting. I mean, this is not, you, here's the problem, Michael, and, and to the audience. We live in a make-believe world. It's called the internet. And we think that everything we read will, you know, it satisfies all of life's truly important questions. It actually answers basically none of them. It gives us information. There's accurate information and there's inaccurate information. There's information and there's disinformation. I took it upon myself, as others have, to go. This man is still meeting with these people. This is still going on live. This isn't where you have to think about Roswell or Rendlesham, where there's nothing except people writing books about this stuff, running around and having careers who've never had to deal with any reality. No face-to-face. -face. I'm an eyewitness on seven UFO settings. Yeah, most of them are secret military. Two of them I'm satisfied were not, and we're right. from the play are, and I didn't meet anybody. I don't get to see anybody. It's not that. We have to take the evidence that's freely available and think our way through it. You have, look, the audience members here have the opportunity, if they want, to go to my website. There's a, I'll even give you the name of the article later if you want. It's uh, now you can prove it to yourself, the UFO uh, to yourself, or now you can prove the WC UFO to yourself. There's one of Meyer's really, you know, uh, controversial UFO photos of the so-called wedding cake craft taken The wedding night. cake, yes. And I haven't even brought up the Dean Martin photos yet either. Oh, I'd be glad to jump to that. We'll jump to that in a moment. But actually, Gang of Four yep. in the chat room says, end of days, Michael, could he get Billy on your show? Mm. No, Billy he doesn't, doesn't really do. Yeah, he doesn't really do interviews, though. You know why? I'll tell you something. Um, first of all, he's 82. Yeah, he's kind and of on the older side right now. He's older. I mean, a older, he's yeah. a very strong man, but he recently, uh, he had undergone a heart transplant, uh, not a transplant, oh, wait a minute, a heart valve transplant. He had fallen and broken his shoulder in three places, which he mended using his mind alone because they couldn't operate on him. That's a whole story. I have a blog about that. And I was there. I saw the man <laughs> in May, months after this whole thing where they had to strap his arm to his body because he wasn't supposed to move it. And then we walk in the kitchen. He's walking around. He's one hand. He's making coffee. For, I said, hey, Billy, um, your arm. Oh, yeah, that's better. He's you know waving it over his head and all this stuff. And so I asked him how he did it, and he explained it, and that's the whole thing. See, that's where we get to why these contacts are happening, because it's not about UFOs and extraterrestrials. It's about us and how we think and how we best learn how to think if we want to survive and how this man, without much fanfare, demonstrates what the case is really about by the way he lives. And, uh, you know, if we ever get off our tails and start doing the kind of you know diligent work that we should if we're interested in something, we look into all of it. And that includes the pro and the con. And how do you answer this? Some answers people won't be satisfied with. And that's okay. Because if they do their own research, they will, in my opinion, they'll go, well, wait a minute. 
Somebody said, okay, these are hoax photos. And Meyer says, well, I didn't do them. Well, what's the rest of the evidence? The rest of the evidence is irre irreproducible, amazing, impossible for one man to have hoaxed, probably impossible for him to have done all the things he did, except he did. And as the military guy said to me, the real amazing thing amazing. about the yeah, would be if it was a hoax. <laughs> How would he have done it? And that's the question I ask at the end of our film, The Silent Revolution of Truth. My friend Jack says to me at the end, he says, Michael, what would happen if you find out it's all a hoax? I said, well. I just want to know how he did it. And that's funny because. With one arm, by the way. Pardon me? With one arm. With one arm. And this guy's not living in Hollywood, folks. He's living up in a nice, rugged, rural part of Switzerland when all of the heaviest of the contacts and the evidence was, you know, 1975 to 81. It was even, this is a farmland, okay? And you've got people who are the Swiss. They're very precise people. They notice everything. Somebody comes on their land. When you read, there's two volumes of investigation outside of all of the conversation. Wendell Stevens and, and his uh, co-investigators, they compiled two books worth preliminary and supplemental investigation. They interviewed people in the, you know, in the neighborhood, the farmhouse, uh, you know, 40 you know, acres from that one and all. And, and they interviewed people in, who uh, were in the shop where he had the camera. Well, did what kind of chemicals did he buy? And they said, well, we don't sell chemicals. And he never bought anything from us but cameras, film and tripod. Why? You know, and then they go to the farmers. Well, you ever see this man coming? Oh, yeah, yeah. He came through our property. He opened the gate. Well, what did he have with him? Well, he, he had a knapsack. He had his moped and, uh, you know, I guess he had his lunch. Well, any balloons or what are you talking about? Well, anything else? No, you know, and he, he has to open the gate and he has this one arm and he's driving up the hill with, and, you know, balancing his himself and that's it. And he goes and then he comes back. And so until people get into real life and ufology is the least real life topic because it's so full of make believe and disinformation. I can't disagree with you on that one. Go ahead. Oh, yes. <laughs> and people think they're experts and they think they know things. And, I, you know, I'm willing to talk to anybody. I, I am pro or con. Sometimes, I, you know, it's like not the best experience for either of us or whatever, but I'll talk to anybody because I do this. I, I I've been doing this for 40 years, and I have plenty of other things I've done and accomplished in my life. I've got a, my own autobiography will come out. But this turned me in the direction of this is the most important thing in human history. Why wouldn't I want to do everything I could? And it changed my life in lots and lots of ways in terms of my thinking capacity, of just a lot of stuff and people that I met, people who were professionals, like astrophysicists, military people, you know, people who understood the rules of evidence, preponderance of evidence. Uh, my gosh, how means, motive, and opportunity. I've been writing about that for over nine years. Nobody, none of the skeptics ever talk about how he could have done that. You know, what were the means he had? Well, how, what was he motivated by? Are, are you going to be motivated to have, turn, have the world turn against you? People try and kill you? Yeah, Michael, you know, you, you, you know, over the years, I'm kind of a skeptic at heart, but I'm, sure. I'm an open-minded skeptic. And we've had this discussion plenty of times. And I've talked to so many individuals on this program, and many of them you have zero to uh, little respect for. <laughs> yeah. And, you as, know, as that's okay. They might be great people. Let me just sure, say sure, yeah. it's not personal for me. And lots I, of I, times their story outweighs any evidence. Yeah, because there is none. See, this well, is the precisely. amazing thing to me about ufology. And I used to go and lecture at things like the International UFO Congress and all that. And then I uh, they 
you know, I, I like to say I'm persona or gratin at these things because we both uh, are. Don't worry. Oh, good. Good yeah. company. Well, sure. fine, thank you. Uh, I started to say during my presentations, I said, well, look, this is the only actual case with evidence. I'm sorry to say that all this other stuff about the reptilians and greys and dracos and the people who talk about that, they, they have no evidence. Well, nobody wants to hear that. You know, I was at this contact in the desert thing last May. And I know there were people there that I listed in my presentation. It's on a, you know, it's a record on video. I said, these people are lying. This, these people are charlatans and they're, they were giving their presentations somewhere on there and I, they could have walked right in. I'll tell them to their faces. And, and the reason it isn't to stir up and be aggressive and hostile, it's really because either we're talking about truth and either we're interested in truth or we're not. It isn't really about debating. See, all of the evidence is there for anybody that wants it. And I don't mind speaking about anything, but I want people to understand either we want to prioritize what's true or we're just jerking ourselves off. We're kidding ourselves. Because here's the thing, the confirmed existence of intelligent space traveling extraterrestrial race, Michael, right. would be the most important development in all of science and human history, exceeded only by actual contact with that race. So when we have a bunch of people talking about, well, I'm uh, making presentations to blue avians and the great, you know, the, what are they, the Nordics and the great whites or whatever. Are you talking about Corey uh, Good? Oh, those, yeah, he's one of the people that they tell these things. And I'm, I'm going, you mean people actually believe this with no evidence? So I've gone bonkers at times. I admit it. Well, Michael, I, I have to, I have to admit to you, I have to admit to you one thing here. In terms of Bob Lazar, you know, for the longest time, I slightly believed him more or less, but nowadays, uh, yeah. not at all. I, I just, I don't believe a word he says now. Well, I'm sorry to you say know, that. I, I was in the beginning, I was thinking, well, maybe the guy's telling the truth. Uh, and then I thought about it more and more. And then I actually found something that Meyer said about it years ago. I posted it's on my blog. And just to summarize, he said, well, you know, it's very interesting that Bob Lazar doesn't have any trouble supposedly going out and telling, uh, you know, top secret information. Nobody's shooting at him. That's very nice. But maybe everything that comes from America about, uh, you know, UFOs and all should be taken with a grain of salt. And it should because we are right now in the beginning phases of a huge disinformation campaign that could play out very badly. And uh, it isn't just Bob Lazar. There are other parties involved in that, including the Navy, the Pentagon, et cetera, TTSA. And, and that's another one. All, yes. Yeah, and all the spooks that are supposedly no longer spooks working for a nice, dopey young rock and roll singer who thinks he's been let in on the secrets of the universe. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty you know, laughable. But he has no evidence. He uses Billy Myers photographs on Instagram. So this is the, the bad joke of it. And honestly, it I sh I really I know I should not get excited about some of this stuff, but it's so preposterous that people believe any of this stuff, any of it, and there's no evidence. And boy, they don't, you know, it's like I've called them out. I'm sorry. A lot of people get very sensitive about this. And uh, Michael, you know firsthand that there's a recent situation with uh, another show host out there who got yeah. very angry with you. And, you know, he was even uh, slightly even uh, hostile towards me. And I don't even know uh, anything about this guy. And one of my listeners called him a hack. And well, uh, he got really, uh, really angry about that. He was furious. Well, here's what happened on that. This was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. I heard him talking on a – somehow I went and I listened to a radio sh uh, interview or a video radio interview for a guy that I'd actually gone on his show. And I, I didn't realize how set up – you know, he was wanting to vilify me in the Meyer case. Oh, he was uh, trying to get you, huh? Well, I'm talking about the guy before that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. And then I that's where I first heard 
I can say his name, Stephen Cambion. Yeah, tell and us about him because he's a very interesting individual, very angry. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think he's angrier now than before. Probably now, yeah. This? He's probably now, now he's heated. Well, you know, we should, we shouldn't be hating each other. We, and, and, you know, I don't think so honestly, either. I, I think if we say, look, I really hate what you're doing or the way you do something, but you know, we're, we're all the human beings trying to figure it out. So here's what happened in this case. I heard him mention the Meyer case and to this other guy, oh, I think it's a whole, I thought, oh, I'm going to contact this guy. And I didn't look into his background at all. I didn't know anything about his videos. And I contacted him, I think, on Twitter or something. And he said, well, you, will you come on and be interviewed? Because nobody else will, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I said, sure. So I had a conversation with him. And I was really hopeful. I thought, well, this seems to be a bright young guy who wants to know the truth. And I'm going to go on there and answer this and we'll discuss it. Now, the day of the interview, <laughs> I have to laugh. In that morning, I went in for oral surgery. And, you know, they pump, they take and pump a hypodermic in there to deaden you and all that That's stuff. That's right. And I was supposed to, by the time I get back, about an hour later, I was going to do the show and I wasn't feeling any pain from that. But he, somehow we had a miscommunication. We had to do the show at night. And by that time, I think I was a little goofy because um, I did, I was a bit worn out. The, the anesthetic had worn off. I'm just saying, I wasn't my best self. And we're, we're starting to talk about this. And he asked something. And what I remember, I haven't gone back to listen to because I thought I did a terrible job. So I, what I remember was my saying to him, well, you know, you got to talk about the means, motive, and opportunity. And from that point on, every time I brought up anything specific about the evidence, he would take it down some dark hole. Mm. And it was just, oh, I was getting, I was pounding on That's my a desk. weird, well, I'm glad you're bringing this up because now you are sort of, well, you kind of have gone through what I've gone through plenty of times with other people who host um, a show of their own. A lot of them have that sort of attitude uh, towards me, very passive aggressive. I'm really? Not, I'm not sure why, Michael. It's a very strange phenomenon. I mean, lots of these it people was... get very angry with me for, for no reason. They're, they're very passive aggressive. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I don't get um, it. <laughs> this was, a, it took me by surprise. I have to admit it. It was my worst ever thing. As I say, I literally I was pounding on my desk. A girlfriend's going, Shh, calm down. I'm going to ask guys story. You know, and it's like, I was just goofy, right? So, then just not too long ago, in the past couple of weeks or something, Cal Corfrey appeared and Stephen said something about debating him on his show. I thought, well, sure, I'll debate Cal Corfrey anytime. I have debated him in the past and let's do it. And then, you know what? Actually, I spoke to the military guy who had been doing research on the skeptics and he's he's doing an in-depth investigation of the whole case. He wants to try and figure out if it's all true, you know. He knows Billy's been taking photos, but could there be something else? So he's looking into the skeptics and he said to me, well, I'll just tell you this. If you're going to de debate a skeptic when you've got a skeptical moderator, you're stupid. Just take it to a neutral moderator. And as I tried to do it, I, I would have debated Corf and Cambion openly. And you said you would moderate. Now, sure. for some silly reason. He, he's very precious about all the time he put into preparing for. Well, okay, fine. But yes, that's he, he dumped research. that on me as well, and I uh -oh. I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. I was thinking, what that's, what work? Who? What the fuck are you talking who about? Does that? That's the silliest thing. It's like, <laughs> you know, look, I can say, well, excuse me, you know, if you don't mind, I I've been, you know, uh, side. What do you call that when, you know, sabotaged from the side or blindsided? That's it. Blindsided by you and your show. And now I'm going to, you know, expect clear moderation. I've got, I, 
no, thanks. Let's let's do it on. I contacted you. You said you would do it. And I thought, great, we'll do it. I'll debate them both on your show. Sure. Now, so then, Corf, as you probably know, on or I don't know if you know, on Twitter, he prints. I don't care. He writes this to me. I'm now blocking you and will capital letters only debate you on Steve's show. I am capital letters not going to reward your game playing, moving goalposts, changing the subject. Goodbye. Well, I thought that was a strange thing. If you really, I, you know, I'm. I have offered James Randi to come to his uh, organization in front of all of his skeptics and their I said, I'll debate all of you people about the Meyer case. Will you have me? They No, they wouldn't do it. So I don't run from any debate. Now, I think rather than worry about Stephen right now and his inexperience in the way the world works and when you have people that are actually know what they're doing and talking about, you don't tell them you're upset because you're not going to do it on my show. Hey, you can go on Michael's show with Corf. Uh, and and I will debate both of you. They have no problem. So he badly misrepresented it as me as not being willing to debate Corf again. I've never turned Corf down for a debate. I turned him down for doing a double DVD project. That sort of attitude is kind of rampant in the UFO community. There was a man by the name of John D. Souza, I believe. He claims he's a former FBI uh, agent, and he makes up all sorts of wild claims. And I did invite him to be on the program, but I think he knew what sort of line oh. of questioning <laughs> that I would present to him. So he declined. And, uh, you he know, declined. you know, Michael, anyone who wears that that much amount of makeup is not to be trusted. <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, I, I, I've only seen the guy's photo, I think, somewhere once. Tonight, you asked me if I knew him, and I went and looked online. I thought, oh, I've seen his face somewhere, but that's it. But I'll tell you something that's interesting here when you talk about people declining. And, you know, uh, just so, for people who don't know, Cal Korf has been the biggest opponent, or most vocal opponent of the Meyer case, and he swayed a lot of people to think that the case was a hoax. Now, I'm going to give you some bullet points that yeah, go are actually come from Cal Korf, either as direct statements or that I am telling you what it amounts to in terms of what he said, and people can take it. Now, what he did, uh, I just happened to, I was sent one of his presentation from 1991, where he explains how he went under false pretenses, uh, under uh, false names and disguises to Meyer's property back in the 90s. Oh, wow. Undercover, because he knew that if he told people there who he was, they'd never talk. It was, so I'm looking at the, this is the beginning of his video, and go, wait a minute. So you are someone who admits now that you misrepresented yourself. You told people you were someone other than you were, and you snuck around when it's kind of like a silly thing because for decades, people from all over the world come there openly. They ask, they challenge, some people get married. What's that about? Well, that's only the tip of the iceberg with this poor guy. He published information. This is some of it. He uh, was, according to him, uh, a colonel uh, and then a captain, I think it was, in the Israeli Special Secret Forces. It's a military organization that doesn't exist. So not only did he claim, ex you know, membership in a military organization, it's the equivalent of false valor. He was a captain or a colonel or whatever. So he also hired a man to doctor Meyer's UFO photos. How do I know that? Because in 2006, that man walked up to me in Santa Clara, California, at the Bay Area UFO Expo, introduced himself and says, I have an apology to make. I said, who are you and what are you apologizing for? He said, do you know who Cal Corf is? I said, yes. He pulled out Corf's card. I said, this card? 
course, given to me by Korf because he hired me to do something. I said, well, what is that? He said he brought me photographs, UFO photos and things. And he said, um, what would it take to make this? If, if you were to suspend this from a wire or a string, where would you put that in here? Could you do, if I give you these photos, would you put some in there so I can see? So what he did is Garrett Moore didn't know anything from Cal Korf or Billy Meyer. He did a bunch of these things. He gave them to Korf, who was supposed to pay him for them, and didn't. And the next thing he knew, Korf had published them as Myers hoaxed UFO photos, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, wow. This guy has been peddling this as Myers hoax. And I'm telling you, this man has never hoaxed a damn thing that I can find. So not only that, Cal Korf goes on to tell people online and on radio shows that he has a 500-book deal with Prometheus Publishers. Mm. Um, Prometheus Publishers didn't know anything about that deal. Secret Wars is one of the books that he had been promoting in this book series. It doesn't exist, nor does the series. He claimed to have online a $25 million budget for his work. He claimed fake credits at Apple at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories. He claimed he was a former senior systems analyst at Lawrence Livermore National Labs working on the Star Wars program and is a recognized expert and pioneer in computer-based multimedia systems who helped develop Apple. Apple didn't know anything about it. He also published and broadcast that he was having mm, nine different people arrested, including me. He talked about going to see the Meyer cult, cult in well, but he couldn't show that there was a cult, which is rather obvious because Meyer's organization is primarily a nonprofit book publishing organization that operates under very strict Swiss nonprofit laws. There isn't a credible professional in the world, nor is there a credible skeptic who will associate with or endorse this guy. He claimed effectively that Meyer made a woman pregnant and that she carried the baby for two years. Oh I could go on. But understood, this understood. Is the guy that, <laughs> this is the guy that poor Steve Ambien is throwing his lot in and is disturbed that I'm not going to debate. This, who's, who would even be as generous as I willing to debate a clown like this? Right, right. Yeah, don't waste your time. And by the way, friend of show contributor in the chat room says, Michael, ask Mike if Billy knows where portals are located. Okay, this is the kind of thing I have to just sit back and take the breath so I can answer it intelligently. Yeah, go ahead. And I, I, I don't mean any offense because, look, if people are in your chat room, if people listen to your show and they have questions, I will do my best to answer them. So here's my answer. Yeah, go that. for it. Um, the least important things right now to you and me in this world and in this country are to concern ourselves with things about which and with which we can do absolutely nothing. Now, that being said, if you're interested in some of the most remarkable information, and you'd have to determine for yourself it's true, you can read about Meyer's time travels when he was taken back to separate occasions to 13th or 14th century France. And there's some interesting independent evidence about that. That's pretty mind-blowing. I won't go into it right now. And when he claims to have been taken back to Jerusalem in 32 AD, you can read texts and documents, in this case, for free, free, free about information published as far back as 71 years ago about, about events that would happen between then and now. And, of course, I'm saying that because those events have happened and there are other ones yet to come that concern us much more. Now, that being said, I can give this bit of information as I remember it. 
Yeah, and Michael, I just, wanted, I just wanted to quickly add yeah. one of the reasons why I like you so much, and that you're one of my favorite guests that I, I brought you. on the program, Michael. Um, I like the fact that you kind of show no mercy, Michael. You are kind of relentless with all of your knowledge here. You're, you're definitely not afraid of anything, really, and you will, and you will for sure debate anybody on, on this subject. And yeah. you know, you always tell people to. Do the research themselves, and that's always very important. Well, yeah, I mean, Billy was kind enough to always turn over his evidence, the least I could do as an interested party here. And there's other people, you know, look, I George Norrie said, Michael Horn's the world's leading authority on UFOs. So I said, great, I'll keep that. I don't know as much about, quote unquote, UFOs craft, obviously, as probably some of the scientists working on the secret military craft. I've never been on them like Meyer has for 70 years. But in terms of representing a case, Someone going out to speak about UFOs, I say that without any problem because I've been privileged to be able to represent something that's real and that I have. Yeah, I mean, like other people have seen the craft. I'm not the only one. There's 125 eyewitnesses in Europe, mainly the others that have been in the States, who've seen the play Iron Craft. There's five other photographers. Most people don't know that. And I was passed specific information from the play iron through Meyer to me that warned me about a trap that Cal Corfwood said for me that he tries to pretend wasn't going on and that I was just chickening. I, as you say, I, I won't back away from a debate, but I'll tell That's you right. this. If I debate Cal Corfwood again in the future, I will read these things and the rest of the ones that are on the Internet. And maybe people will wonder, then they'll say, what are you, stupid, Michael Horn? Why are you bothering with it? So I prefer to say, as you did, let people know everything I am talking about tonight is available freely through my blog, through my website, or other sites that host the Meyer material. And there's nothing forbidden. I will just say that in answer to the portal thing, here's what I did learn, but this goes under the heading of according to the information of the case. I can't approve it. Myers folks come and visit him. They used to take several hours to get from their location in the universe, 500 light years away, to him. That's still pretty fast. It's, you know, you go about 800. Well, anyhow, it's pretty fast. So they would just get here. Then they chunked it down to about seven minutes time somehow. I don't know. And then they said to him, this is just a couple of few years ago, we have finally perfected the portal thing. Uh, no, they don't use that word. They call it instantaneous transmission. And they said, you know, we worked on it with just inanimate objects until it was safe. And now we can literally step into your world and you can step into ours on certain occasions when this is appropriate and all that. Now, I can't do a damn thing with that. If anybody in the audience can, be my guest. And I wouldn't bet the, the farm on it. I can't prove it. I don't have any reason to doubt Meyer, but I don't say, oh, I believe it because Billy said it. I don't know. I don't know. But some of the stuff that's already witness, eyewitness testimony of the things that he did mainly years ago, uh, a thing of levitating a cast iron stove. And I mean, there's some pretty interesting stuff. He did it for the people who were around him at the time in the formation of this group. And since that time, they don't do you know parlor tricks because the stakes right now for what we're about to encounter over the next years is going to be drastically high. And the real focal point, since some of it now is completely unstoppable, is the how do we deal with this in our own lives? People probably don't know that Meyer is the first person, however you come down, whichever side of this, to specifically warn when he's 14 years old in 1951 about unnatural, man-made climate change, global warming, damage to the ozone, and all of these environmental things that now suddenly, you know, we're discovering sliced bread and Greta Thunberg is out there running around and all this stuff. The environmentalists have no 
clue as to what the real environmental destruction situation is and what's coming. And we have some of it in documents published from 48, from 51, from 64, and so on. And you can look at this stuff and go, well, maybe maybe somebody's trying to help us out here. That's what this is about. It's not about UFOs and ETs. These people, if it's true, these people have gone through their own group, you know, grief, their own screwed up stuff. They lost 43 million people in their world when they were in the nuclear energy phase of development. And so taking some of their suggestions to heart is a darn good idea in, in you know, my opinion. Yeah, if you want to look up more information, uh, look up X-Points, by the way, for um, those who want sort of a scientific breakdown uh, that comes from NASA. If you want to believe them, go ahead. And by the way, Brig in the chat room says, does Billy know if we should go toward the light or the dark? Well, I, I would say for a guy who's dodged 23 attempts in his life by non-light bearers, uh, I would think the answer is pretty much obvious. But let me take the opportunity with that question because you actually have, uh, you know, I won't make fun of that at all because you've actually nailed the core reason for the case, to be honest with you. This case has what's called the spiritual teaching. Now, I think, I'm, I'm just being who I am, I think they better come up with a better name only because of all the connotations we have in our world, certainly in English, for the word spiritual. This is a non-religious, belief-free teaching. No rituals, superstitions, etc. This is what the Play Iron study, you want to know what the ETs are up to, this is said to be the true and original teaching of this universe, of the, this creation that we are in, it has its laws. I mean, we know gravity is one of them. Right. We know cause and effect is one, but we probably don't know how much more information has been given, if you will, by this conscious, no deities, no gods, saints, or saviors, about how human beings can live and evolve in the greatest amount of freedom, love, harmony, and peace. Now, those terms oftentimes might sound... Well, it's, it's, it's that, but it's more than that. It's a very, to be very honest, it's a rigorous, clear... You don't think it's a little new agey? I'm sorry, say it again? I was going to say, don't, don't you think it's a slightly new agey? That's why I didn't care for the term, but it happens to be what it is. It's really a teaching about how consciousness, how human beings can develop and evolve consciousness in each incarnation and what the laws of reincarnation, of, of how it happens after the, we pass from this world. Uh, I mean, the the volume of information. Now, some of this is freely available also on my blog and my website. Some of it is in the books that Meyer has written. I should say, in some cases, transcribed, taken down. Now, this is not like we're not talking channeling. And I understand right, the difficulty right. because I have it in trying to just be simple and clear and say what we're talking about here is the recommended way we as human beings could learn to think without religious and political confusion, which never leads to peace, love, freedom and harmony, but always leads to conflict, advantage seeking, power hunger. Mind enslavement and millions of millions of people dying. I, I agree. But now I'm interested in knowing about uh, your take now, Michael, in terms of religion. Yes. Were, were well, you ever religious before any of this, Michael? No, but I'll tell you, it's so interesting because 
when I was growing up, I was probably about 10 years old. And for whatever reason, I'm growing up in a non-religious home. Mm -hmm. And I asked my mother, I said, you know, I want to know the truth about God and Jesus. She looks at me. She was knitting or something, you know, sitting there. And she looked at me and she said, well, as far as I'm concerned, God is love and the rest you'll have to find out for yourself. I thought, okay. So I didn't have any kind of real heavy conditioning about it. I mean, we grow up in society and, you know, religion is is influencing in many ways, even sub or unconsciously. Now, I find the Meyer material and I in there, Billy says to them, right, says one day, um, I want to know from you, do you have God in your worlds? Now, remember, Meyer is brought up in rural Switzerland, 1937 is when he's born. It's a basically, you know, Christian country, uh, maybe Protestant, I'm not sure. And he, he, they have the parish priest there who plays a very interesting role in Meyer's life because he's a telepathic contactee with the play. Aren't going to that another time. Anyhow, so Meyer was raised religious. And so they said to him, no, we don't use that term. And he said, why? He said, because we know its origin. We know what it means. And it always remains, me, refers to the more advanced humans, the space travelers from afar who came here over many, many millennia and eons of time and represented themselves to the primitive earth people as their Lord and master, the creator of all things, their gods. We refer to the creation. And he says, well, what's that? They said, the creation is the source of all that exists in this universe. It is the consciousness and the universe itself. And it has its own laws of operation. And it doesn't, it isn't punitive. Uh, you know, and I've extrapolated far. I, I say it doesn't, you know, take sides in wars or football games and praying is, uh, this was my own reasoning. I thought, well, wait a minute. For the past, what, three, 5,000 years, people have been praying to one God or another. That means probably trillions of prayers hurled heavenward. And lots There's of uh, no evidence. And lots of predictions, uh, lots of predictions, Michael, throughout the years from very religious folks thinking the world was going to end. Well, you know, there, and let me say in all fairness, there are people who have made accurate prophecies or predictions. Some of those people were religious, whatever. Uh, sure. Well, if we get to the, you know, the Myers prophecies and predictions have been ironclad. For the sake of, for the sake of conversation and trolling you here, Michael, I just wanted to say yeah. even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yes. Yeah. Um, but broken clocks don't repair themselves and they don't end up being right, uh, you know, 360 times. I don't disagree with that either, Michael, but, you know, yeah. for conversation's sake, for, for entertainment, yes. Here's the easy way about that. And that's a, you know, that's a fair thing because, look, you know, the tabloids every year, you get all the prophecies and the predictions and then you check them out later and, you know, nothing there. I remember, I uh, I don't know if you know who Ed Dames is. Of course, he, of course. Okay, so I heard Ed Dames on the radio in the, in the mid-90s, and right. I am the person who contacted him, and on behalf of a friend of mine who is a video producer, I arranged to uh, have the first technical remote viewing home study course, because I thought, wow, this guy must know a lot of stuff and, and all that. Um, It turned out that Ed Dames couldn't get anything right. Mm, and I spent true. a year working on that with him and, and I watched him get things wrong. And I was going, wow, because he'd shown us how to do the remote viewing protocol that he does with a pencil and paper. And I learned how to do it with someone else. We went to film his videos in Hawaii. And before we left for the studio, I thought, oh, the guy that owns the studio, I wonder what he looks like. And I made a sketch. It was an oval face, glasses with curly hair coming down the side. 
So we we pull up at the studio and we knock on the door and the door opens up and out comes this guy with an oval face, glasses and curly hair. And I thought, gee, I can do this too if I want to. That's right. And we then, you know, we produce a thing. But what I'm trying to say is poor Ed, you know, the kill shot was always coming yeah. and he was claiming airplanes were going to be found in this state and they were found somewhere else. I witnessed that. Was he ever now, right? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, was he ever right on any of his predictions? I, I don't. I, I, I had to do what I <laughs> sued the, each other. Yes. I had to be a witness in court. So I researched oh my goodness. every transcript on the NFL <laughs> show and Ed couldn't get anything right. Michael, I, so, I have to I have to stop you really quickly here. And yeah. uh, Michael, my God, you know, I do remember the very first interview you did with Art Bell. And I've oh, listened yeah. to so many of your interviews in real time since then. Uh, back in the early 90s and even almost to this point, and, and there's always like this nostalgic feeling every time I talk to you. It, it feels a lot different when I have you on this program, uh, when opposed to when I hear you on other shows. I, I guess I'm biased uh, to some degree, but it, it doesn't really have that sort of old school nostalgic feel to it. Well, you're, you know what it is too. A lot of the other shows that maybe you've heard me on, I've only done them once or twice and you've done numerous shows. So many. Years, yeah. Right. And we're conversational with this and I don't have to in the same way. I mean, I'm glad to fill in your audience on anything I can, but you and I don't have to go through the same steps. Oh, that not I have at all. To go yeah. So, you know, and it's always with me. It is true. Any question because. It's not, I'm not telling you I have all the answers. I, I will go and get the answers for something if I don't have it in my mind or if I don't have it accessible quickly, then I'm going to go and try to figure out to, you know, what, the, you know, what the answer is or what the information is. So this is a, uh, a free flowing format that we have where we're in a conversation. I feel like this isn't a matter where I have to, you know, prove something to anybody or be defensive or all of that stuff, which I don't, you know, I shouldn't be anyhow. But well, a lot of times when people do bring you on their shows, it always seems like the host is trying to sort of derail everything. Yeah, very often it happens. Some sometimes they'll record a show with me and they don't get the, uh, you know, to do that, and then the show doesn't air. I think one of those may have just happened recently, but uh, you know I'll leave that alone for now. But I don't mind it. it look, of again, course not. Yeah, with with Stephen Camby and look, when I was talking with Stephen in our ill-fated interview, he didn't un he didn't know anything about the Meyer case. He just threw ad hominem attacks or tried to take it and this. And I even sent him an emails and twitters. Sent him what about this here? This evidence? This art? I never got one specific response to detailed evidence. So. I don't take him seriously that way. I then looked and saw that he had been debunking a lot of people that I had agree with. I would agree with him about the people he was debunking, but I would hope it, it probably was easier with them because they don't have any evidence. We have boatloads of it, and I wanted him to address it, but whatever the case. You know, one of the questions I was asked, and this is kind of silly, I was asked this um, via, I think it was uh, either Twitter or email. Someone was asking me if Billy Meyer was some sort of AI <laughs> I'm not even joking either. <laughs> Billy Meyer was warning us about AI in two documents, for sure. In the 1987 Hanok prophecies, they are foretelling uh, these coming the coming war with Russia that we seem hell bent to want to get into, which will basically destroy us from coast to so coast. So he's a, he's a real guy because there is speculation in the chat room that he's not a real person. So <laughs> Billy is a real human, right? <laughs> he's a very real. Okay, guy. good. Okay. Yes. Oh my goodness. That gotta gotta so love funny. the chat. Gotta love the chat room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand. Look, as you said, many people may not um, know anything about this. May, may never have heard about it. 
And so if they ask, you know, is he real? Is he, is he a, a seek? You know, some people that will send these things. He, he, did you touch him though, Michael? Did, did you touch his arm at least? So he was real. Yeah. Yeah. I okay, mean, good. Believe me, the grief that this guy's had, nobody wants. We might want all the amazing experiences he's had, but we wouldn't be willing to pay the price. So, you know, people have said, oh, I want to sit and meet Billy. Well, I understand. But if you really want to meet Meyer, let's say that you had an hour to meet Meyer, your greatest meeting would come from spending an hour reading Meyer, not sitting and going, hi, how are you? I am fine. And how are you? I am fine, too. You like this country? Yes, I'm very glad to come and meet you. Oh, I'm glad. I mean, really, what do people think? they're gonna? He's just a guy. And he's published everything for eternity, practically, so that they can you know, anybody and everybody around the world is being, it's translated into other languages. There's people in meeting about this in Russia, in, in, in Japan, all over the place. I get, I've had people write on to me or read my blog from 205 different uh, countries. I'm happy. I've had people contact me probably from, you know, a good percentage. And, and Michael, just to cut in really quickly, what do you say to those people that say, oh, Michael Horn, he's discrediting the UFO community? <laughs> you like that, right? I love it. Well, again, I got into this in 79 and I looked into all sorts of stuff. I went to channeling events starting in 1986. I, uh, you know, read whatever I could find about UFO cases. Here's what I would like to kindly say about the UFO community. It is the least scientific. It is the least credible. It is absolutely the least professional community of interest. You can imagine there are no real scientific standards. I could, I, I, I won't mention the person's name because I'm not here to pick on anybody, but I watched the better part of a two hour interview with a so called UFO expert, uh, who's in the, you know, running around in the circuit and lecturing yesterday with claims galore about all sorts of stuff. I was waiting for the evidence. I'm not going to find that evidence. It doesn't exist. So. I, if anybody knows, if they have in mind somebody they think has evidence is a, is a really sterling member of the UFO community, well, then they can bring it forward. Have that person call me. If I have called them a liar or a phony and they want to dispute that, I'll be gentlemanly and speak to them about it, but I will still ask them to present their evidence. You know, it took me over a year of conversations with Jan Hartson, the uh, president, I think still maybe of MUFON, before they would even put the Meyer case on an obscure part of their website. He told me in person he knew it was authentic, but it was too good to be true. I mean, the UFO community. They're very MUFON sensitive, very, very, very sensitive bunch, Michael. I'm sorry. I was saying they're they're a very sensitive bunch. Yes, of course they are. I'm see, I I'm not sensitive. I I don't take this personally. I don't mean it personally. They do though. This. They they get really personal. Well, of course, because it's a hobby for people who and people want to feel important. They people come to me all the time. I agree with that. Telling, yeah. Oh, you know why something else is real and Meyer isn't? And I, and I sit here and I go, okay, breathe, breathe. You can breathe. <laughs> okay, I can breathe. I mean, yes. The MUFON sends their best evidence from their so-called field group. I don't know, field whatever they are, lights in the sky chasers. They send it to the State Department and CIA because what people are doing on behalf of MUFON is sending in photos and videos of primarily secret military craft for the assessment of the military community to see how these things appear when our courageous MUFON field investigators are running around risking life and limb making their videos. Nobody's in contact with extraterrestrials. Now, I want to qualify that and say this. 
have there been, at least according to the Meyer material, people who've encountered some extraterrestrials accidentally? Yes. Are there some craft seen in the skies that do not belong to the Pleiaren or are not secret military and may belong to other extraterrestrials? Yes. So that's fine. But if you're going to tell me the UFO community and this contactee and that expert, you better be prepared to have evidence that at least compares to the five categories of physical evidence from Meyer and the hundreds of examples of prophetically accurate scientific information of great importance to our world. Otherwise, folks, you're involved in hobbies and dabbling, and that's fine. It's all very interesting, but it's make-believe. And until someone can stick it in my face and I'm going to be good, I'll say, oh, okay, that looks real. Now what's the point? Let's go. But it hasn't happened in the past 40 years. I don't believe so. <laughs> I don't believe I'm so. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just telling you, this is like, you're not going to walk into a, I don't know, the, what would you say to a to a car company and say, oh, there's this car that goes twice as fast as yours and this, and, and it's got all this more, what car is that? I mean, you're dead in the water. It, it, I don't have a good off-the-top analogy. This is a make-believe field where people appoint themselves experts. They want to be very important and run around and sell books. That's fine, but it's not. Where's the truth? Where's yeah, the lots evidence? of uh, lots of self-importance that goes around these um, UFO uh, circuits. And many of these people I've have asked to come on the show. And again, I'm pretty sure they knew that I was going to drill them with many questions about uh, some of their claims. And as we know. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, Michael. Well, this may surprise you. I'm glad you said that, Mike, and I'll tell you why. I, I think I mentioned that I went to visit with a scientist who's working on the Mars project. It's going on now. They have a rover up there, and they're driving it around, all that. Okay, so he said a similar thing, and I've heard that said many times, and I thought about it before. <laughs> Considered extraordinary at one point is considered not extraordinary at all. I said, wasn't it an extraordinary claim when Galileo uh, was, you know, s said that the Earth goes around the sun, the church is up in arm? I mean, we 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 laugh at that one. I said, here's the real statement: any evidence should be analyzed according to the scientific method, the protocols of scientific examination to determine if it is authentic evidence or not. Because if we allow our prejudice to enter, well, that's an extraordinary claim. It just, no, it's a claim. Let's find out if it's true or not. If it isn't true, then we can say, well, that was an extraordinary claim <laughs> right. because it wasn't true. But so I'm just being honest here because yes. this poor guy up at the USGS, I mean, he didn't know that lightning had been uh, discovered on Mars in 2009. He also didn't know that Meyer had published it 20 years before that. So, you know, it's like it's it's an interesting dance. We have to go, OK, well, are you willing to look? Most scientists are not. They they don't want to know this. They either will think they'll be the ones who discover something or they don't want to know. And SETI knows they're not going to discover. Listen, it's so easy. The search for extraterrestrial life. Forget it. If they want to find us or contact us, they know where we are and how to do it. We are so silly and egocentric. The search for extraterrestrial life. It's going on, I, I, you know, 77 years in Switzerland, but you guys don't like it. So, you know, you're still searching. We just have to tell you tell it like it is. That's why all of this ET stuff, ufology, SETI, and it's just, you know, it's a mental jerk around. You want the truth. Eh, I think it's going on in Switzerland to this day and that it is 
intimately connected to our future survival. Don't you want to at least find out for yourself? You know, there are skeptics. There's a guy named Kevin Randall. He's a UFO expert. He's got a blog. He's been on here. Yeah. Yeah. He won't go to Switzerland. He he disses the Meyer case, but he won't go and check it out. What kind of investigator who still talks about Roswell, which was a real event, but there's no evidence left. What kind of an investigator won't go if someone says there's contacts going on right now in Switzerland? There's 45,000 pages of information. And Mike, on a complete side note here, I did have on Travis Walton on the program not too long ago, just a couple months ago. What's your take on his uh, abduction case, alleged abduction? Well, I met him, uh, I think it's about six or seven years ago. Personally, I liked him. I thought he was a kind of, you know, nice guy. I like him too. Mm -hmm. but yeah, but whether or not he had the experience or whether or not he had the experience he thought he had, I'm not in a position to say. I don't know. I, I think, you know, if I look at the odds, well, I don't think it's, necessarily likely it was what he said but you know what i wasn't there i don't have anything from <clears throat> meyer and company on it specifically if i find anything you know they could be right or wrong either way but i don't know i simply enjoyed i shared uh it was a breakfast time i was speaking at some event there in in new mexico and he was speaking at it and um we shared breakfast and i just thought he was hey this guy nice guy you know Everything isn't about what we do any more than it's about UFOs. And I tend to like people, for instance, Stanton Friedman. Now, Stanton Friedman and I disagreed very heartily on the Meyer case. Absolutely. And I uh, did a radio debate with him several years back. And uh, the audience, I'll just, I mean, this is just the fact of it. He got like 280 votes and I got 16,200 votes or whatever. It was 98% to 2%. This is a nuclear physicist. He came on to debate the Meyer case. I was hoping he was prepared, but he wouldn't really substantiate anything contra the, the evidence. So, and, and the uh, people who were in the audience, they picked it up. Here's the other thing. Let me be really, there's a lot of people who know what I know here who study this material. A lot of them contribute to my blog or they contribute. They're just not public speakers. So it's not about me being amazing at all. It's about the material is amazing. And other people over the years have troubled themselves to delve into it. And I learn from so many of these people. Honest to gosh, we have a study group in Arizona where we study the spiritual te teaching. There's no leader to the group. By we the way, are all there uh, to study. Michael, it. would you be interested in having a sort of um, talk with uh, Michael Shermer? Oh, I uh, of course, because here's the thing about him. You know, he was one of those people in the early on years. Oh, they're just pie plates thrown in the air. Now, I happen to like Michael Sherman. Me too. I've written. I've got two articles, at least that I wrote, where I was acknowledging what I thought was his good thinking. He's simply off on this. If Michael Shermer actually looked at the evidence, because, I mean, I can end the conversation in three minutes. I say, means, motive, and opportunity, 1964. Look at that. Now, don't give me your theories. How did he do it? And you go from there. If he's a fair-minded, scientific guy, and I think he is, for the most part, and if he would be neutral and objective, not a, a pussycat, you know, he can throw any objections he wants here, but if he got it, he could help literally change the world because he's in the scientific community. And these are the people that should be knowing the true facts about the climate destruction, the unstoppable nature, what's coming with the undersea volcanic eruptions, the eruptions of the five major volcanoes in Italy. These eruptions are now going to come with certainty because in 1948, when Spath gave Meyer the document stating 
that around, I think he said between 2015 and 2017, there would be a spate of uh, pretty good-sized earthquakes in central Italy that would precede in time the coming mega-destructive quakes in Italy and the other ones around the world. And he also talked about in Indonesia, there's things coming from the Cumbre Vieja volcano in La Palma and the Canary Islands that could kill 20 million Americans. You, you under, 20 million Americans could die when that thing goes off because the eruption of Cumbre Vieja is a prediction. It's a certainty. If scientists would only look, we've published this information, if they would only listen, they would grade down the western-facing side of Cumbre Vieja so that when it blows, a trillion or more tons of mass don't suddenly get dumped into the ocean. And that tsunami, that sonic, that wave that will come up on the entire eastern seaboard at maybe 150 meters high, coming in at Huge speeds, penetrating 12 miles inland and conceivably killing 20 million people, that that event wouldn't happen. There's one other thing, just the motor mouth here. There is something called asteroid apophis. Now, maybe people have been hearing about it in the news. All the time. All the time, yes. Okay. NASA discovered it in 2004, but Billy Meyer published the information on it in 1981, 23 years before they discovered it. We have it illustrated in six languages in comic book form on the Internet that people will pay attention. Now, more than that, here, NASA poo-pooed it even when they discovered, oh, it's not going to be dangerous. It'll come by a couple of times. The play Aaron told Meyer, April 13th, 2029, 10 years and change, or April 13th, 2036, if not deflected prior, it will slam into your planet. And they pinpointed the most likely location. They talked about the destruction that will ensue when it cracks through the Earth's crust, when new land masses are created, but when sulfurous clouds and fragments of, you know, asteroid, the mess, the millions of people that will immediately die and subsequently die as a result of it, it will be life changing for the planet. Now, NASA was poo-pooing it and then NASA did a funny thing. They changed the size estimate of Apophis to within 25 meters of what Meyer was told and published. Now, we have put this information out for, on my website, maybe for nine or 10 years, whatever it is, and sent it around. The Russians, after we started publishing it, we noticed that the Russians were starting to talk about a joint effort to deflect. This is different than the blow the thing up. Well, Yeah, this is what I read as well. And I was very curious your thoughts and opinions on all of that. And by the yeah. way, Michael, throughout all the years, I've always been intrigued by the prophecies of Billy Meyer and confounded, uh, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it in a sense, it's simple. It isn't really. But in a, it's like this. Prophecies, we have prophets on Earth. We call them meteorologists, stock analysts, sportscasters, astrophysicists, architects, car designers. Anybody who takes given known data and projects it forward to, uh, and draws a conclusion is prophesying or predicting, if you will. It's just that in this case, <laughs> the technology, if you will, by which these prophecies and predictions have been determined, and some of them a very long time ago, right. you'd be surprised, um, that's another story. And they have shown to be impeccably accurate. It's a, I don't know how else to put it. I, I've had, I had a friend, I hadn't seen the guy in 50 years. He's a retired physician and physicist. We see each other. What are you doing? Billy Meyer case. Don't talk to me about crazy stuff. Okay, fine. So then a few months later, I send him 
the Hanak prophecies about the Russians moving the troops to Arkhangelsk. And then I send him the 2011 new announcement that the Russians are moving their troops to Arkhangelsk, nine years after I'd had it already on the website, and of course, something like 23 years after Meyer published it, 24 years after. He has me film him talking about why he now thinks we better listen to Billy Meyer. I mean, people who are scientific and are not prejudiced one way or other, and this guy's even very religious, but he's scientific, if they get evidence... This is this is why I hammer away on this is not happening in ufology. It's a joke. It's a it's an industry, people. It's an industry that has you running around chasing lights in the sky when you could be learning about what's going to happen here. You mean like a you, you mean like Stephen Greer who charges an arm oh, and a leg? Yeah. Oh, Stephen Greer, two thousand and five, maybe what somewhere back there. I offer him publicly at a UFO convention in L.A. I offer him everything in the Meyer case. I say, Stephen, all those nice people that you have parading up to the microphone talking about things they've seen, they don't know what they've seen. But I'm going to give you, if you want, you can have all of this, and you can interview everybody. Blah 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 blah. Didn't even look my way. Didn't say a word. And you know, I sent him stuff over the years, but I've determined, in my opinion, he's a profiteer. He's a huckster. You never get any evidence. You never see the free energy devices you're sending money in, and then he sells all. These expensive ambassador, galactic ambassador trainings, and you can go out in the desert at night and shine your flashlights for aliens on demand. How stupid are people to fall for this stuff? Well, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> it's not against the law to profit off of others' ignorances, my friend. <laughs> that's it's what I've always said on this program, and people get really angry at that, but that's yeah. just the reality, and no good deed goes unpunished, Michael, as you know. Well, that's why, as I said in the very beginning, because I, I saw what was going on in this ufology thing, you know, I, I said to Meyer, I do it voluntarily. You don't pay me. I don't pay you because people are going to say, well, oh, you're in it for the money. You're just, it's, they're going to do that anyhow. So why should it be true? It's not going to be true. And here it is, black and white. And I've got the contract to prove it. And that's how we do it. So this is a gift to humankind. It's not about UFO experts and all this nonsense with ufology. If extraterrestrials want to find us, they know where we are. If we want to survive long enough to maybe be meeting and on parity with more advanced people who've gone through the same grief we have, you can study how to do it. Free articles in the spiritual teaching books, if you want. I'm not the world's best you know, uh, salesperson. I'm not always hawking something. Because if people are interested and they look into this themselves, they find what they need to determine the truth for themselves. And then those that find that it's in this, they're no longer bothering with ufology and, and all this hucksterism stuff. You know, they are going, okay, well, how, okay, well, I've got food and stuff stocked up, but what else do I need for this? How do I think my way straight here? So I, it just changes everything. When we're realizing there's a difference between reality and showbiz and ufology is bad showbiz. I agree with you on that one. And by the way, I didn't get a chance to play an audio clip for you. I know you can use a little break here, uh, <laughs> Michael. I, I'm sure you can appreciate a quick clip here of me asking uh, Michael Shermer about Travis Walton. Oh, you haven't heard that, right? No. Are you interested? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's play that for you. I have interviewed 
a man by the name of Mike Rogers multiple times. And he, of course, was the driver and witness to the Travis Walton abduction. And they also made the film A Fire in the Sky based on this sort of event. I'm sure you've seen the film or heard of it yeah, yeah, a, a number yeah. of times. Yes. Yeah, I know. I've, I've met Travis Walton. He came to my office actually one day for a filming for a TV show. Oh, interesting. And I, yeah. And I was on another set with him where it was a, one of these reality shows on, on the lie detector. Mm. So one of the episodes was they gave him a lie detector. Uh, and he volunteered to do it. He thought he'd pass. And at the end of the show, he ended up failing. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to. I think, I think he made it up. I think he, this is what we think the UFO people think. I mean, UFO skeptics think he, you know, he was late to finish his job and he just concocted the story. And it was probably not meant to be a big public thing. It's probably just, you know, just to get out of this job problem he was having and but then it, it became took off and then he had to live live the lie i mean that you had to call him a liar i don't know for sure but that's what i think he asked me my opinion i think he made it up and there you go yeah well you know what that i want to ask you a question go ahead okay so all this time and again i'm not trying to put you on the spot either, that's okay we've talked about this so, okay good we've talked about this over many years time and also at this point what are your own feelings or senses about this Meyer case and i know you you're neutral in the way you interview me but i don't i'm just curious it could be on either side of it and it's fine with me but i'm curious because you, you've had me on so many times well there's some things about it that i'm completely fascinated with as i mentioned earlier here about the prophecies a lot of that it does strike me as very unusual that some of it has actually been quite accurate over the years now that I've known about this case for so long. However, there are things that I can't really truly explain. So that's why I've always been uh, confounded by it, really, uh, in terms well, sure. of the audio, the pictures. You know, I could see how some people will say, well, this is just complete nonsense. Sure. Well, you know, what most people don't know is that for New, well, let's see, one, two, three. Well, three new analyses were done, and there's one book out and another one coming out on photo analyses on Myers photos. And they're done with the state of the art technology as they were back in 78 or 80 of that time, but they're done with the computerized stuff that, you know, is very sophisticated and with, you know, all sorts of optical stuff. And they come out as being large objects a distance from the camera. Uh, there's a guy in England, and Stephen Camby knows him, who made really good models, almost perfect. You know, I mean, they're not quite because a lot of details he did miss, didn't know it. And he took good photos and he created the, a very similar effect. So we said, well, why don't you just submit your photos for analysis? Of course he wouldn't because they're models and they're going to show as models when you analyze them. When Meyer's original photos were analyzed, in, you know, say late 70s, 80, they're shown to be large objects a distance from the camera. It's inescapable. But it's fair for people to say, I don't know, I, I can't buy it. It looks like a hoax to me. Then I always say to people, well, what do you think something from outer space is supposed to look like? You probably have ideas that are based on our sci-fi and some people think that they will look like discs they won't this and that and the other thing but i you know if, if maybe when we go again i love doing it if you could have a list of things that you know bug you about the evidence or sure. your listeners because i want to address there's been a lot of really you know jpl ibm mcdonald douglas usgs of experts Michael Malin, the guy who designed the Mars mission camera. Well, since you brought it up, I mean, let, let's go over the Dean Martin photo, first of all. Sure, sure. That's really the yeah. only thing that has been uh, bothering me as of late. 
Sure. Very interesting. Now, I have an article on my website, not my blog, that's got those photos. And there were things that I never noticed that were pointed out. And I, I think they're on there. Here's the thing. In order for those photos to have been hoaxed by Meyer, he would have needed to be in front of a television set with a camera that could photograph those images off the screen in the late 70s, right? Now, right. there's a few problems. There's more than a few. One, Meyer would have to know when that particular image is going to be broadcast. How would he know when this woman, this face, and the other woman are supposed to be there? Okay, that's a problem. There are no cathode tube lines in any of those so-called or aspects of those photos. I have those photographs up now in the chat room, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to quickly bring it up and so I can actually try to describe a little with a little more accuracy. And I don't even have all it's the It's the blonde girls. That, you know, I'm sure you've seen the photograph. Hold on. Of course. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you some interesting things right here about those photographs. Since we're all on that page. Now, if you look, and I hadn't noticed this before, somebody pointed out to me. If you look at photo number 109, right? Right. We see it's kind of blurry and all that stuff. And the woman in the center, or you know, to the right of the blonde, dark-haired woman, look at the collar around. Do you see a collar kind of around her? Slightly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Now, look just to the right of her eye. Another eye there. With above it, there's an eyebrow. Look at the, oh, there's some dark hair, and there's the side of a face and the neck and that collar. This photograph was manipulated from video. What you're seeing is the two women... And you're seeing Dean Martin's shirt collar to the woman's right, our left, looking at it in photo 109. I never saw that before. This was done in a far more sophisticated way than Billy Meyer could have ever done. Now, hold on. Go down. Let me see where it is. Go down to the faces are different. The Meyer alien photo and the Dean Martin ding-a-ling photo. Look at those two faces. Those are not, that's not the same face. And another thing was done. The so-called alien Asket actually has dark hair and not blonde hair, as this woman does. And how do we even know that? Well, it's interesting here. Because Pobal Cheng, who was a young girl at the Ashoka Ashram at the time, 1964, used to see Asket walking on the grounds there with Meyer. As a matter of fact, since you got it in the chat room, and it's fine if you want to keep this up and go through any more stuff, but there's information down here. You can see that there's a lot of analysis, you know, little analyses. There was more. There's a guy in Germany who really took this apart and more stuff. But here's something else about it that, um, okay, 1998, and Cal Korf, you know, of course, discovers that. Yeah, I mean, do you wonder what's going on? Here's an interesting thing about it, and I, I wonder if – I think I put it on here somewhere. Okay, let's see. Ask it as a – yeah, okay. And I'll tell you more about the woman in here. Suze, uh, Michelle de la Favre went to Switzerland to meet Meyer, as a matter of fact, about two years ago. Now, here we go. Another important – this is under change in explanation. Meyer, already back in 76, states in his contact notes – that his space trip photos can't be trusted. This is 20, more than 20 years before the skeptics are finding it. Contact, 68th contact on 1976. It's mentioned that the space trip photos have been tampered with, substitutions made, photos not returned in other cases. Another important point they fail to mention is the fact, and this is what I, because I had this, I was reading this, in contact 39, in 75, Aska and Nera have doubles or look alike in America. This is in the, it's in the book, everything. These, these two things are in print copyrighted. 
He was t- that's why I told you early on about the dinosaur photo. Right, right. They told him that stuff has been messed with too bad, but it's been messed with. Sorry, you're going to catch a lot of flack. But you look at the photos below the so-called alien ask it on our left and Michelle de la Fave, Those are not the same person. They were manipulated very well by parties who want to discredit, discredit the now, case. Okay. Okay. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you go through it all and you look at it now. You can you can see you look at photo one ten you see one eleven you can start to see where especially if you then go down to the uh, you know the photo of the three women from the actual uh, probably the, the videotape or something and then you go back down and you look at Eskett's photo that's not the, that woman is not standing in there and you know it's tricky but there it is now if you're on that website and you go back to the home page and you type in the word India and you hit that. You'll see India 1964 should come up in the search engine, right? India 1964. Yeah. If you just, in the search engine on my site, you type in the word India and you should get India 1964. Oh, now I got it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now click on that. And now you're going to see something interesting. Quite a few things. This is what, this, Michael Shermer wants to go through this with me. I'll be glad to do I'll let him know. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'll let him know. I mean- We'll soon have events in our world that will probably encourage people to go, well, let's look into this a little more deeply. Here's the article right below. The Flying Saucer Man Leaves Delhi. Now, you probably can see the write-up here and the first, uh, you know, he gets his age wrong by a year, but it's okay. The first paragraphs about Billy and all that. Then he says here in the second paragraph, everybody, he has about 80 photographs of the space objects. Right? One is a globular object, blah, 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 blah. Third. And then he says a fourth is a big Bright cross, right? You see that there? I see it. Roll down. Mm-hmm. There's Billy looking a little plexed. By the way, I do have that image of him with his uh, open shirt and a cowboy hat on. Yeah. Isn't that kind of cool? That was the guy. This guy's amazing. He, this is Luke Skywalker meets Indiana Jones meets Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, there's nothing like this. In I've never seen so, this photograph before, by the oh, way. Yeah. Wow. You should see the ones of him as the Phantom uh, with his outfit. Or maybe we'll be able to link to that. Okay, so here's the India photos. Okay, we see the first <coughs> sepia tone. This is taken with a 1940s Bellows-type camera and not do special effects with it. I know that personally. Here it is over the ashram or right to the side of it. And we see another one in black and white. These were all, of course, black and white. Some just this way. Some come out that way. Now, then you see another one, bigger, photo 136. Keep going down. Here's eight uh, askets. This is what most we get. These, you know, lights in this. And you compare them to Billy's photographs. It's all over the world. And there's a woman in the lower, kind of lower right, who was uh, working, I think, as the nanny for Asket. And she's looking at the friggin' UFOs in this. Okay. Now, the down, there's another nice light in the sky, 130. Who cares? Here's the most amazing photo. Remember, he talks about a cross in the sky, right? Now, let me describe for you what we're looking at. The photo's tilted up to the right. All right, let me let me bring that up for the chat room. Now I see it, sure. yes. Okay, go ahead, sorry. Okay. You can see a kind of cowboy hat flaring off someone's head. He's sitting on the ground right behind him, his left. There's a spire from one of the buildings on the ashram. And above his head in the sky, in the middle of nowhere out there, is a great big cross. Now, okay. You're looking at the photograph of a photograph. I was there. We were filming this for our documentary. So my nose then went down to look at the photo because I was wondering, I thought, could that be adhesive tape, white tape? Or wait, did he paint on it? But when you look at it, you can get us a little sense here. There's, especially towards the top, the top part of this cross has some thin cloud in front of it. Yeah, I see the cross now, yeah. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the lower part is more cloud free, but up where the clouds are darker, part of that is in front of the cross. Okay. What the heck is this about? Well, according to the information in the case, the man we know as Jesus Christ never existed. The real man did exist, and his name was Emmanuel. In the Old Testament, we see at one point in Isaiah 7:14, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. They think they spell it there maybe with an I. Then in Matthew 1:23, New Testament, right at the end of the whole thing, 1:23, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, spelled with an E. Well, according to the information in this case, that was indeed the man. He never was called Jesus Christ in his lifetime, which also accounts for the fact that there are no zero genuine biographies of any man named Jesus Christ that were written around the time of his existence in that overall area. And even subsequent tales really don't call him Jesus Christ until you get into the, you know, the whole formation of the Jesus Christ and the church. The whole story of this man and Gabriel, who was a playaron, and how he survived the crucifixion, and how he and his mother and others, including one of the 17 female disciples, Mary Magdalene, moved through different countries like Afghanistan and Iran and all, and ended up in India, where his mother died when he was about 45 or so. There's a tomb in Srinagar for Mary. There's also a tomb in Srinagar for Isa, they called him there. And the legend at the base of the tomb where the two footmarks are with the nail crucifixion, you know, marks in the center of each foot reads something like, here lies a great teacher who was crucified in his land and came to teach us. And Michael, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that was a real human being? No, I, I don't, you know, I don't like to believe anything. I don't even believe Billy Meyer. I know certain things are true. I know the contacts are real. And where there's something that I can't prove, I could say, honestly, I, I trust that it'll come out on another point for them, but I don't need to believe it until I know one way or the other. But no, I don't believe that at all because this in-depth information and this book, the Talmud Emmanuel, this blows the whole myth out of the water. It just, it, 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 here's what happened a number of years ago. This should interest you guys. There was a wonderful man named James Deerdorf. He had a website, tjresearch.info. tjresearch.info. He was a professor. I think he was both meteorology and comparative religion at Oregon State University. And he heard about the publication of a document called the Talmud Emmanuel that had just come out in English, and he said, oh, looks like another Bible hoax to me. Let me add it. And he spent a year, year and a half, whatever, going over it, and he published his findings in a book called Celestial Teachings. And his conclusions were, and I'll paraphrase, the Talmud Emmanuel is the original teaching upon which the book of Matthew was based, not the other way around. The Talmud Emmanuel resolves over 325 or more inconsistencies that scholars have noted in the book of Matthew, and over 100 of which were not even known at the time of the publication of the Talmud Emmanuel. He went through both the book of Matthew and the Talmud sentence by sentence, showing where the clarifications came just logically in the Talmud and explained things that in a non-mystical, non-belief-oriented way that made sense of the whole story. And, of course, the Talmud establishes that the man, a.k.a. Jesus Christ, but named Emmanuel, survived the crucifixion with the help of healers who had come in from India, where he, Emmanuel, had also spent some years of his youth being taught and tutored, not only by the play Aaron of the time, but by 
various ad, you know, masters, if you will, in the Himalayas, both informationally as well as in consciousness-related ways, to be able to control his bodily functions so as to be able to even simulate death in preparation for an event that they knew was forthcoming in his destiny. Nothing to believe here. Certainly don't make another religion out of it. But this Billy Meyer UFO case, my friends, is the key to our future survival, but it also is the key to the truth about our history, our religions, our various gods and saints and saviors, the so-called ancient aliens and all the rest of it, with vast amounts of pre-information even about who the extraterrestrials were who were based on Earth until 1978 underneath the Great Pyramid of Egypt, who were behind so many things that were manipulating us on the planet through politics and religion, all to be found freely, and I'll just throw this out. I answer all my emails, so if you don't find something and you write to me and you give me a little time, I'll write you back and tell you where you can find that information if I have it. This is why I say to people, if you do your own homework, you, you spend a week or two just at the preliminaries, and then you go onto a YouTube channel about UFOs and all the hyperbole with zero evidence, right. you're going to go, what am I doing here? Very true. And Michael... We are running out of time here, but before I let you go, I want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program yet again. It's always fun and an honor to have you here, and I, I do hope you had fun too tonight. I love it because this is a little more real, a lot more real. It's frankly. a lot more real, and that's true. Yeah, we, we're talking about something that's a – look, folks, if this is true, it's the hands-down most important thing in all sciences and human history, as I said in the beginning. And if it's not, it's the longest-running, most impenetrable hoax pulled off by a little pot-belly, gray-bearded, one-armed so-called Swiss farmer. Go figure. But I'll, if I can throw in one thing, yeah, go ahead. if people do go to my my website here, this is They Fly website, and they go in, there's a, there's a shop for hard copies, there's a shop for digital. As I said, you don't have to buy anything. If you buy anything and you mention Michael's show, I'll send you a link to a free download of one of the films. Just buy anything, free download. It's okay? a good deal Buy there. the cheapest thing there. I don't care. That's a very nice deal there, for sure. And Michael, before I do cut you loose here, any last parting words before... Uh, you descend. And of course, Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Well, thank you. A lot of people are worrying about ascending, and I'll do a little descending here. So I appreciate it. And a, and a Happy New Year and Merry Christmas to everybody in your audience. Yes, the parting words are there is a lot coming. You'll be seeing things that if you read the prophecies and predictions here, uh, you will recognize that they were long foretold, and you'll want to act accordingly in your best interest and those of the people you love and work with and are of like mind and commonality with. This isn't to form a cult. You don't have to join anything. Just learn what you can that's going to be useful from this time on. And I am grateful to you, Michael, for making the, the time, the opportunity. I love doing it. And if you and your audience will make a list of, you know, challenges, questions, if you can get Michael Shermer to get off his high horse and deign <laughs> to talk with me, if we converse, there's only going to be one of two possible outcomes. And I hope it will be the the one will be that he will be interested enough to do some real research and that I don't, you know, I have to tap dance on his head and tell him, well, this is where you're wrong, 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 wrong. Let's not go there. Let's go. What about this? And how do we look at it? And he's got my full free cooperation. on. This. I will pester him. Good. I'll get on and, him and as, see. You know, there's, what's the reason not to? He could he could debunk something here. Wouldn't it be terrific? He could debunk the longest running. That's what he loves to do. Yeah. Good, good. I, you know, here I am telling your whole audience, and I hope this show is recorded so that other oh, yes, people of course. listen to. It. Good, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you'll send me a link. I'll share it with everybody. Perfect. So, Michael Shermer, when you get get the call from Michael Deacon, please let's 
get into this. Rub our hands together. You're a bright man. You're a good person. I think you're an honest person, and I think that we'd have a lot of fun looking at this. Oh, he'll listen to this for sure. Good. Yes, sir. And sure. again, go ahead and plug your website. Okay. The website is theyfly.com. That's the the oldest of my you know websites was up in like 2002 or something. And there's a lot of interesting articles, probably a good hundred. My blog is what's more active, theyflyblog.com. I, I posted that blog today, Michael, that you saw, which is a repost of a blog that I put up eight years ago, kind of foretelling what would happen from my point of view. I didn't, I was, you know, when the Republicans float their candidate in 2016 and how it would turn out. And I think it was fairly accurate. Now, they fly blog. You can participate there. Contact me through either of those two sites. It's the most current, and there's over 900 articles I've written on that site. Very nice, my friend. Well, once again, thank you so much for being here, and we'll do this again on the other side, Michael. My pleasure. I can't wait to share it with my audience. Thank you, Michael. Clockwise, I'll send you all the info. Okay, good. All right. Mahalo. Mahalo and happy new year. All right, you too. Bye-bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Michael Horn. That was amazing, wasn't it? Oh, yes. And as we take it home here tonight, and before I pull this, uh, Larry Silverstein style, as always, I want to thank all of you for being a part of the program yet again and those in the chat room. I hope you had fun. Remember, you can get a hold of me during the program via Twitter or in the chat room if, um, if you're there, at Michael Deacon. Send me a message and I'll do my best to respond to you. And don't forget, if you are a fan of the program and want to help fund the program, you can go to michaeldeacon.com, right-hand side. Uh, there's a PayPal donation link there. If you feel the need to, go ahead. And of course, patreon.com forward slash michaeldeacon for any additional bonus content if you want it. I got it for you and it is well worth the $5, I promise. And this is just for the hardcore listeners out there, and I've been very happy with how everything has turned out. The audio is top-notch, much better than, I guess, here live on YouTube, since there are some restrictions, and I would even have to say it's a slightly better than the podcast version as well. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Lots of content coming your way, I promise. International listeners out there, thank you so much for your support as well. It's been a top talent program as always. And as I like to say, do we in fact have a cosmic neighbor out there? Somewhere. Who are they? Where are they? Who knows? There's nothing more frightening than reality, as you know that. And to everyone out there, by the way, Merry Christmas. I'm glad you were here for this very special edition of End of Days, the Michael Deacon Program Christmas Extravaganza. I hope you had fun. Stay safe, everyone, no matter where you are on this pale blue dot. I'm Michael Deacon, and the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. What do you think happens to someone after they die? I don't know. Like, do you believe in heaven? I never did. But the whole idea of an afterlife, but now I don't know. Because I have these dreams about, about your mom. And we have long talks about you, how you're doing, which... She sort of knows, but I tell her anyway. So what is that? It's sort of an afterlife, isn't it? I'm starting to forget her. Yeah, I'm sure we will, Michael. The freedom of speech is being taken away.
it, you're uninformed. If you read it, you're misinformed. That's a great question. What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of them is the need to be first, not even to be true. What a responsibility you all have to be, tell the truth. Not just to be first, to tell the truth. We live in a society now where the truth is first. Get it out there. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care if it's true. Just say it, sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at. Including BS.